and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And tonight we are continuing our October Horror Month, where I do all scary movies. And I am very excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. The main one is that this is one of my favorite movies of all time. We are talking about the 1973 horror movie, The Wicker Man, which one could argue isn't actually a horror movie. We'll get into that. But it's a very scary, creepy, memorable, gut-punchy movie that has nothing to do with the remake, so don't even get me started on that crap. And not only are we talking about The Wicker Man, we are bringing on a special guest, and this will be a first, this is the first relative I have ever had on Staff Picks. This is my daughter, Vanessa, who I have trained since birth to be a horror movie fan and a horror movie snob, I am proud to say. She has very good opinions about horror movies, I would say. She's a college student uh, training to be a paleontologist. And if you are wondering what a child of mine would be like, welcome Vanessa to the show. Hello. <laughs> now, Vanessa, this is your this is your first podcast, correct? Yes. All right. Are, are you a little nervous? Yeah, a little bit. I think... I'm going to hate the sound of my voice on a recording. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, it took me many podcasts to get used to my own voice because I hate it, but I, that is how it goes. But <laughs> the first question, we have to start off the bat. How are you doing? How's college? You need any money or anything? <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. All right, so right there from my own daughter, she is telling you, please donate to Mario's patron account. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you're starving, right? You can barely eat. You're skin and bones right now? Yeah. All right, so just in your own words, please tell people, please donate to my father's Patreon account. It goes to me. Uh, please donate to Mario, my dad's Patreon account, because it'll all go to me and help me not starve in college. Thank you. Well done. See, this is why you're my favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> so give people a little background about you. Why, why the Wicker Man? Why you? Why the hell is a 19-year-old girl talking about a movie from 1973? Um, well, first, I just would like to comment on what you said, how you've been training me since birth to like horror movies, because it really was literally almost since birth. You showed me Jaws when I was like five. <laughs> and you loved it, right? <laughs> no, I was traumatized. <laughs> you know, what's funny is both of my kids are my daughter, Vanessa. I broke her with Jaws, unfortunately, and I do apologize for that. And the, the patron fees do go to your counseling, right? To your mental counseling because of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then my son Nick, I broke with Mars Attacks. That that movie absolutely terrified my son. That one terrified me too a little bit. Yeah, and this okay, I'll get back to your history, but th this is one of the things you do as a parent is you want to introduce your child to things you love. And with horror movies it's very tricky because you don't want to introduce the wrong one at the wrong time. So, I think I did pretty good with you, but I apologize for Jaws. <laughs> Now, okay, what other what other horror movies? Because I know I've shown you so many over the years, and I just want to get this out before we get into the podcast. You don't love every movie that I do, and I don't love every one that you love, so we have very different opinions. What are some of your favorites over the years, and what are your, some of your favorites now? Um, I mean, I think for horror movies, I have always, and I still love like the more slow burn horror movies more and the ones that don't rely so much on jump scares. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the first like horror movie that I remember really liking was Zodiac. Mm -hmm. 
So um, I do also love stuff having to do with like serial killers and like more realistic things and like kind of related to this movie, like cults and like religious groups. That's like my favorite horror movie trope. Um, yeah, so that's, I think that's always just been my favorite, like horror movies that don't rely on jump scares and aren't super gory and are more like psychological. Yeah, you and I actually have very similar tastes because that's something I've brought up on the show before that I don't like jump scare movies because it's funny, we're going to use a lot of the same phrases, but the one thing that I always say is like anybody could make a movie with jump scares. I could do that. That's easy. And like there's nothing, there's no skill involved. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Now, is The Wicker Man your favorite of all time? Because I've been telling people this is your favorite, but I know it may have been surpassed since then. Uh, no, this is still my favorite. Look at that. Still her favorite. She's 19, and her favorite movie is a 1973 movie about cults. I, I could not be more proud of this kid. Well, movies, horror movies from the 70s are the best because it was pre-slasher and pre-over-the-top like over the top gore and jump scares. All right, so what other 1970 ones do you like? Because I will say right now, right off the bat, this is a big point of contention with me and Vanessa. I love Halloween. I think Halloween is the greatest movie ever. And you don't like Halloween that much, right? Yeah, I'm not into slasher movies. All right, well, we'll, we'll talk. That'll come up in Thanksgiving. So <laughs> what, <laughs> what other 70s movies do you like besides The Wicker Man then? Well, was that one, uh, Carnival of Souls, was that from the 70s or is that from the 60s? That's even before. That's the 60s, 1961, I think. Okay, yeah, I really liked that one. Um, I like the uh, the original Suspiria, was I think from the 70s. Mm-hmm. That one was pretty good. <laughs> you know, one that I'm going to bring out here is that uh, I not only have I trained Vanessa to like horror movies, I have also trained her to like Mystery Science Theater and there's one mystery science theater horror movie that I know you love, which is A Touch of Satan from 1971 or whatever. That one legitimately creeped me out, even though it was on Mystery Science Theater. That one was actually creepy. <laughs> that was a, a devil movie. No, okay, so you don't like supernatural movies, but do you like devil movies? Like, where do you stand on, like, uh, The Omen or The Exorcist? I don't like devil movies as far as, like, people getting possessed. But I like, like, if it's a devil movie about, like, a devil-worshipping cult, that would be interesting to me. But I just don't like, like, possession movies. Okay, I, I think you and I and, our, and my wife, your mom, <laughs> Diana, are all on the same track, is that we all tend to like movies where the evil is the humans. Like, humans yeah. doing evil things is scarier than all the supernatural stuff. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Okay, and I have to say that you know, as much as I have been training slash torturing Vanessa since birth on g giving her horror movies, she does the same for me actually now that she knows modern movies much better than I do, and she's constantly re uh, recommending ones to Diana and me, and you know some we love, some we don't like, hint, The Witch. I know you like The Witch. We're not going to fight about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of modern ones, like, within the last 10 years that you like. Like, can you recommend some to people that you think are up to your standards of not being too gory or jump scary? Well, so the two best horror movies that I can think of, like, in the past 10 years, uh, one you already did on an earlier podcast, The Invitation. Um, that's another one of my favorites. And then also the one that came out this past summer by um, Ari Aster, the director of Hereditary, called Midsummer. That one's a little bit gory, but that one was also one of my favorites. 
And you said something to me after we saw Midsummer, and I don't know if we'll do Midsummer on staff picks, but when Vanessa saw it, I don't know if you have changed your mind. You said, I might like that one as much as The Wicker Man. I think the only reason I don't like it quite as much as The Wicker Man is because it does rely on gore more than The Wicker Man, and I like that The Wicker Man doesn't, but like as far as like the themes of the movie, it's really similar, and I really liked it. Yeah, it's it's impossible to watch Midsummer and not think of The Wicker Man if you've seen them both. They're very similar. I don't want to get into spoilers, but uh, yeah. So, so again, my protege here, my horror movie buddy, and I'm very excited that the uh, the Wicker Man has risen to the top of your list. Although, again, there's some that I like. She doesn't like. Like I, you don't like Phantasm, right? I'm a big Phantasm fan. Yeah, I thought that one was kind of stupid. Oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Now, what are some other ones that you like that I don't like? I'm curious. Now I'm trying to remember. Um, hmm, the Witch is the first one that comes to mind. Although, I will say, we both don't like It Follows. I was very excited to hear you don't like that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I forget. Did you guys like The Babadook? I love The Babadook. I thought that was really okay. good. Okay. Yeah, I like that one, too. Okay, yeah. So this is what we do. Vanessa recommends all these modern ones to me. So we've kind of come full circle where I don't know anything after about 2010, and she's now my resource. So, And do you are you like the horror movie girl at college? Are you the one that, rec- that always gets your friends to watch horror movies? Well, I don't really get them to watch horror movies because they pretty much refuse most of the time. But, yeah, I'm like kind of the psychopath. <laughs> so if you donate to my patron account, Vanessa can buy better friends that like horror movies. <laughs> It's a it's a lonely existence when you're the one who loves horror movies and nobody else does. I understand. I have gotten one friend to watch The Wicker Man, and he really liked it. So it's like a one for one so far. <laughs> okay. Well. Okay. Now speaking of, we are obviously of different generations. I'm 45. Vanessa's 19. Now most people your age would only know The Wicker Man as a remake, as the one the. Uh, I hate to even mention Nicolas Cage's name, but the remake. Now, have you, now is this the case that you have found that people your age only know about the remake? Yeah, generally, like when I'm talking to people about horror movies and they ask me what's my favorite, and I say The Wicker Man, and then they start quoting, like, not the bees or something. I'm like, no, it's the original one, and they don't even know that that one existed. Yeah. Now, do you just want to stab them when that happens? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> What's funny is I know people my age that I was even telling people I was doing a podcast on The Wicker Man, and even people my age are like, oh, I didn't know there was an original. Yeah. (laughs) It just just really hurts, because this is a fairly obscure movie, and it has been remade into the campy favorite of everybody in meme generation, and it really hurts me personally, because this... For years, I had a list, 10 great horror movies most people have never seen, and The Wicker Man was number one. This was my baby, and I introduced this to everybody. So there's nobody who hates that remake more than me, with the possible exception of the other person on this conversation right now. Yeah. I mean, the memes we've gotten from it are pretty funny, but other than that, I don't like it. (laughs) Now, I I debate asking this question. What don't you like about the remake? Let's let's be very quick here. (laughs) Just that it stole the name from the original but it's completely different and so much worse well yeah the, the the remake seems to be very brutal like they want to get into torture let's beat up this poor guy and do lots of horrible things to him which is i feel totally misses the point of the first one the first one isn't meant to be savage until it is it's like a perfectly normal nice gentle movie until suddenly it's not there's a turn that's what i think the remake forgets yeah 
All right, I have a little back history. Before we delve into this movie, this is a fairly a notorious horror movie. I believe uh, one magazine once called it the Citizen Kane of horror movies. Did you know that? Yeah, I did. Do you know which magazine it was? I forgot to write it down. Um, No, I don't. Okay, I think it's I feel like Cinefantastic or something like that. But I have a personal history with this, and this is this is kind of a long story, but it'll explain why I wanted to introduce it to you. Is that when I was in college, I had a uh, classics professor, mythology professor named John Heath, and he's my favorite teacher I've ever had. He was a huge nerd, huge movie nerd, loved Greek mythology, loved mystery science theater. I actually got him into mystery science theater, and he loved to show this movie in class every year. Which I don't know. Do they, would, they, would they show the Wicker Man in one of your classes nowadays? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not sure. Is it woke enough for a modern college student? I think it's just too weird. <laughs> Perhaps a little too much uh, sex and phallic references. Yeah. <laughs> so my professor Heath loved to show this movie to his class because he's like he would explain. It. I never saw it in college because what had happened is. By the mid-90s when I was in college, this was a movie that was very hard to find. Even by the mid-90s, it, it was virtually unheard of, and you had to go seek it out. And he couldn't find it in video stores anymore, even by the mid-90s, so he'd tell us about it. He's like, there's this movie I love. I love to spring on my class. It's about mythology and legend and gods and music and, and all sorts of fun stuff, and it's called The Wicker Man. And it broke his heart that he couldn't find it. And so I heard about this movie for years and then one day in like the late 90s, I'm in a Hollywood video and I see it. And I don't know if this will surprise you, Vanessa. It was not in the horror section. Really? Yeah, it was in the special interest section. <laughs> <laughs> it's where they have like softcore porn and documentaries about Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And then the Wicker <laughs> Man. I'm like, oh, okay. So apparently this is not a horror movie. It's a special interest and so I rented it, and I watched it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this movie has the greatest gut punch ending of anything I've ever seen. And yeah. I was, yeah, and I, I simultaneously loved my professor for introducing me to it and hating him. I'm like, why would you do that to me? Now I'm going to have this image in my head. But that's why <laughs> this movie was always very special to me. And then well, when I want to have kids, I'm like, I want to show my two kids this movie because I want to get their reaction because this is a nasty gut punch. And one child of mine, I will not name his name, does not like movies. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then the other child the beloved daughter loves movies and i showed her this and she loved it so again very excited to have you on a movie that stuck with you as much as it stuck with me i think it did take some time to grow on me because i don't think i really loved it initially but then i just kept thinking about it after and then i like rewatched it a few more times and then it kind of like really hit me like how good of a movie it is excellent and that's what i like to see the the persistence of opinion you will eventually convince yourself yeah. All I'm going to say is that this is possibly the most awkward movie to discuss with your 19-year-old daughter. So I will <laughs> <laughs> paraphrase that ahead of time. This movie is chock full of sex and penises and fertility references. So yeah. <laughs> we will do our best to dance around this for your entertainment. <laughs> okay, so again, the movie 1973, The Wicker Man, starring Edward Woodward, Christopher Lee. A lot of people would know Christopher Lee from, he played Dracula, he plays Count Dooku, he's the man with a golden gun, a lot of stuff. He himself said this was the best movie he was ever in, so hint, hint, that mm -hmm. should say something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so uh, the other thing about this movie is it's, again, it's, it's hard to call it a straight horror movie because it's got this soundtrack of folk music and it's, 
like I said, it was it was my mythology professor wanted to show it to me. So it's not straight horror. It's a weird movie, but when you hit that nasty turn, get ready for it because this is one of the nastiest movies ever. Yeah, I I really don't like admitting that my favorite horror movie is kind of a musical because I generally hate musicals, but this is pretty much a musical. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it is very much a musical, and it's got a great soundtrack. Have you ever listened to the songs on YouTube? Oh, yeah, I love the, um, like, one of the very first songs that plays. I think it's called Corn Rigs. I love that song. Yeah, there's Corn Rigs and Barley Rigs, and there's one called the Maypole Song. And uh, there's a bunch of traditional Scottish folk songs, like traditional ones people would sing around a pub that they just use for evil purposes in a movie. Yeah. And the composer, his name was Paul Giovanni. He's the one that put together this awesome soundtrack. And I do have to say, again, in the uncomfortable nature of this podcast, we will get to Willow's song at a certain point. (laughs) I'm sure you're aware of that one, right? Yeah. Willow's song is possibly the most sexual song anybody's ever recorded, so... I, to the point that I'm shocked Madonna never remade it or anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here we go. The Wicker Man. A, uh, there's going to be spoilers in this. We'll do our best. But luckily, the spoilers in the movie don't pop up until the very end. So we, we, I think we'll do okay. But The Wicker Man is, in essence, a story of a missing child, correct? Yeah. And what is her name? I know you love Irish and Scottish accents. Can you pronounce the child's name with the proper brogue? Mm, probably not. I, I think I'll offend someone if I try. <laughs> oh, that's what we do on staff picks. Vanessa. We're not sensitive here at all. Um, Rowan. No, I can't even do it. It's Rowan Morrison, though. <laughs> A little girl named Rowan Morrison. And I will try uh, Rowan Morrison, I believe, would be a good approximation. But there's this little island off the coast of, uh, was it? Or we're in Scotland, right? Yeah. And was it filmed in there? Like it actually was filmed in Scotland? Yeah, although it, uh, the film takes place in the spring, but they had to film during the winter. So all of the props of the trees with the fruit on them that you see in the background, they're all fake because it was all dead. Oh, no. In reality, when they were filming. The crops failed them. Terrible. <laughs> yeah, so this little girl, Rowan Morrison, has been, she's disappeared. There's on this, there's this little island off, the, off Scotland somewhere. I, I don't know how all that geography works. It's an island. And... And uh, she has gone missing, and someone has written a letter to the mainland, to the policeman, uh, to the police department. There's the little girl missing. Could you please come and investigate it? It's very, it's very creepy. And so that's the whole impetus of the story. This guy comes, and he's looking for a missing girl. Yeah. What does he encounter, Vanessa, when he first comes to the island? Are they, are they thrilled to see him? Well, I mean, I just also like to talk about how much of a jerk, at least I think, how much of a jerk the protagonist is to these people. (laughs) Like, before we get to the ending, he's just so, um, like, hostile to them, and so he thinks he's so superior to them because he's a Christian and they're pagan. Yeah, that's one of the biggest plot points in this movie, if you haven't seen it. It's the pagan religion of all these islanders who worship nature and old gods and deities. And Sergeant Howie, who is very old school Christian, and like Vanessa said, he's just a jerk. He's like not willing to concede their beliefs at all. And he flat out is just snotty to them most of the time. Yeah, when he gets there, they're they're not thrilled. and They're just kind of acting suspicious from the beginning he shows them the picture of the missing girl and some of them kind of have different stories like some of them say she never existed or like later some of them say that she did but she's dead so it's just really suspicious from the beginning 
Yeah, the opening scene right from the start. It's a creepy little island with just locals live there. No outsiders are ever allowed here. And like anybody who comes to this place called Summer Isle must, you know, check in with Lord Summer Isle, the the guy who runs the island. So they are not used to having an outsider there. And like Vanessa said, they're all just they have different stories. Oh, we've never heard of this girl. Oh no, she's. Uh, they're just. They're just very suspicious and very standoffish. And the police officer, like you said, he's just. He's just a jerk to them. He's like talking down to them. But right from the start, he is aware something's a little off on this island. Yeah, and it's all. It's creepy, but it doesn't really seem outwardly creepy at first. Like the setting is beautiful, and the people all seem really friendly, and it seems like a really idyllic just place but then he just he can sense that something is weird about it now you've traveled a lot have you ever been to a place that reminds you of summer isle i'm curious um no unfortunately i this movie makes me want to go to like an island off of scotland now knowing how this movie ends why would this movie want to make you go to an island off of scotland (laughs) i mean is it because you're a girl and not a guy is maybe that why no, just because of the setting. I mean, I would get out of there before they do all the all the weird stuff that we're going to get into later. Okay, so you're you're up for a vacation until it becomes culty. Yeah. Okay, so that my daughter sees the Wicker Man and immediately says, I would like to go there. <laughs> I would just do what he does at the beginning where he just flies around the helicopter, but then I would just never land. <laughs> okay, well, that's good. I mean, I, see, you're a smart kid, I will say. We raised our kid with self-preservation. <laughs> So, so we go to this island. It's very idyllic, and yeah, it's a very peaceful little place. And it's they're just standoffish, and it's all what's the word agrarian? They're just crop based. That's what they do there. Yeah. Apples, apples is their big thing. So yeah, so the sergeant shows up and he's walking around. He's trying to figure out this weird place. Like why? Like who is this missing girl? Who sent me this letter? And everybody in the village is denying they've ever seen her or ever heard of her before. He's like, there's no way. And what is it? He finds out the girl's name, the the, the girl's mom. Is name what? May Morrison? May. Yeah, May Morrison. And then one of the um, other islanders tells her where the, the mom li- or tells him where the mom lives. Oh, yeah. That's one of my, my favorite little exchanges. He's like, do you know Rowan Morrison? And they're like, no, never heard of him. And he's like, well, he's he's she's May Morrison's daughter. And they're like, oh, May. Oh, yeah, we know May. <laughs> <laughs> So he goes to talk to May, who like runs. She like runs the post office or general store. So how does that how does that exchange go? Let's let's. Well, May of course is very excited to have a policeman looking after her missing daughter, right? No, not at all. She claims that she doesn't have a daughter named Rowan, but she introduces Howie to her other nine-year-old daughter. So he goes in the back room and he talks to the little nine-year-old daughter Myrtle, and Myrtle says, "Oh, of course I know Rowan." And Sergeant Howie is very excited because this is the first person that has admitted that there's a Rowan Morrison on this island. And the girl says, oh, she's a hare. She's a rabbit that lives in the back. So still, people are stonewalling him. He cannot get a straight answer who this Rowan Morrison is. Mm-hmm. And now we go to the Green Man Inn, which is a – this is the first time in this movie it's going to get a little awkward to talk about with your daughter here. <laughs> so. Sergeant Howie is, again, this movie moves very quickly. It's only 90 minutes, and nobody's giving him an answer over who this little girl is. And so he goes to the inn, the local pub, and he's like, I'd like a room for the night. And this is where we meet the innkeeper. What is his name? Do you remember his name? No, I don't. It's, I think it's Mr. McGregor. Yeah, something like that. I just remember the daughter's name. 
Yes. Okay, the daughter. Good. We'll have a lot to say about the daughter. Let's delve right into this. So <laughs> Sergeant comes in, he's demanding. He's like, I am a police officer. I am a constable. You will give me a room and a meal. And everyone in the pub is like laughing at him. Like, who's this jerk? And then the innkeeper's like, all right, well, I'll give you a room. But first you should meet my daughter. So let's talk about Willow, the daughter here. Well, so I don't think this scene is as awkward as much as it is just funny because all the people at the end just start breaking out into the song and then Howie's just looking at them like all disgusted. Well, do you listen to the words in the song? Yeah. Okay. Well, I will, in an, in an effort to make this as awkward as possible, let's talk about the song. Yeah. Well... Okay, so I'm actually not totally clear on what Willow's role is in this island, but we know it has something to do with sleeping with a lot of guys. Yes. Willow gets passed around a lot. Willow is played by an actress, Britt Eklund. You may, people may know her from a James Bond movie. She's a uh, in The Man with the Golden Gun. She's a Bond girl. Very good-looking actress. Very busty would be the right word. And she is the innkeeper's daughter. And when the minute the landlord says, please follow my daughter to your room like Vanessa said everybody in the pub starts laughing and singing and the song is called the landlord's daughter yeah <laughs> I will paraphrase this so you don't have to it's basically you'll never love another like the landlord's daughter she's not the kind of girl you take home to mother and there's another line in there that there's something that you, that she has that you want and it's between her legs yeah <laughs> so yeah I do not believe that you do not understand what her role is in this. <laughs> well, but I don't. What I don't understand if is if it's like a ritualistic thing, like part of their religion, or if it's just like her thing. That's what I don't understand. Okay, well, yeah, that's that's actually a very good question because people who may not know this movie, this whole island is based around the idea of fertility and reproduction and sex. So maybe this is what they do with anybody who visits. Please sleep with her. I mean, maybe that's just how it yeah. goes. Maybe it's not specific to her. Yeah, that's just what I'm confused about. Because there's a scene later also where the it seems like Lord Summerall is like bringing a guy to her. So in that way, it seems kind of more like a ritual, like part of their religion. Okay, well, that would make sense. And yeah, so her role is to entertain anybody who comes to the inn, and the innkeeper is offering her up, and the villagers are singing a song that involves erections and other things it's very and right off the bat how he hates this right how he's yeah. like what the hell is this place that they're singing about this and he's like you said he's horrified he's a jerk to them yeah i think at one point one of them is singing and he literally walks by him and pushes him over <laughs> yes how he is going to give a negative yelp review to the green man in <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah so they're all singing and and that the sergeant stops them, their body song of sex and reproduction. He's like, shut up. He's like, I am here on official police business. This is not cool. I would like a room. There's a young girl missing. This is very serious. And, of course, the town, the town does not appear to be to care one way or another about this missing girl. And this is where we see the pictures of the Harvest Festival, right? From the past, I don't know how many years we're up there, but for the past maybe like 50 years or so, we see... A picture that they take at the end of every summer with um, a young girl surrounded by lots of produce. Yeah, this is a yearly thing. They do a harvest festival. And this is would have been typical for little old school island religions or like a, 
I don't want to say pagan, but like these nature religions, they would have a harvest festival at the end of the year. They would elect the harvest queen. Man, this is a lot like Midsummer. I'm realizing now, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a picture on the wall of every girl at the end of the harvest festival surrounded by baskets of crops. And the one from last year is missing. Yeah, so this is 1973, so he notices that the one from 1972 is not there. Yeah, and he, he notes it. As a trained policeman, he notes there's a picture missing, and this will come back later. Yeah. All right, so uh, this is a couple key moments here happening in this next scene. This is the dinner scene where Howie sits down for his first meal on Summer Isle, which is known around the world for its great crops and lush vegetables, and like his meal sucks, right? Yeah, that was another thing that bothered me about him is he was so rude about that, too. He basically straight up said to Willow's face that the food sucked. <laughs> I mean, the customer is always right, right? <laughs> it, oh, yeah. So they give him this food and he's like, this place is supposed to have the greatest food around and it's all out of a can. And like Willow is not only his seductress, but also his waitress. And he's very rude to her. Yeah. He asks for, I think for, she asks him what he wants for dessert, and he asks for apples, and uh, she says they don't have any apples, and he's really surprised by this, because apples are the fruit, that, the main fruit that the island is known for. <laughs> What's that meme, the middle-aged woman who always complains in restaurants? What's her name? Oh, yeah, Karen. Yeah, he's a Karen. <laughs> he pulls a Karen here. No apples? I, I demand an apple. I'm on the apple island. <laughs> I'd like to speak to your manager. So, yeah, Sergeant Howie is is not getting the reception he would like on Summer Isle. He's very upset at the lack of apples, which <laughs> lacking laughing about now, but this will lead to a much more dire circumstance later, no apples. Yeah. And Willow does say, uh, well, cheer up. Food isn't everything in life, you know. And again, he's like, I'd like to speak to the manager, miss. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, he's horrified that this place that grows all these crops and they don't have any food and He's wondering what's going on here, and he's going to start putting two and two together about what happened last year. But anyway, now he goes out, and he's like, this this island sucks. He's like, the people are weird. Like, they sing songs about sex. The in innkeeper is throwing his daughter at me. And he's like, I better go for a walk to clear my head. And this will not clear his head because, Vanessa, in the, the most awkward transition I could possibly say, what does he see outside? A bunch of people having sex on lawn. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> this this is apparently the greatest leisure activity on Summer Isle is people just going at it right on the grass. Yeah, and he's horrified as usual. <laughs> he's a Christian man, Vanessa. This is not what Christians do. They do not. <laughs> I won't continue with that sentence, but they do not do that. <laughs> so this movie is already moving along at a brisk pace. We've already had about three references to, I mean, outright references to sex and fornication. But now we're going to get the most blatant one, the seduction scene. You, you ready for this one? Doesn't that come later? No, this happens. This is literally 20 minutes into the movie with Willow against the wall. I thought that was on his second night on Summer Isle. No, absolutely not. First night, I, I, was, I even wrote that in my notes. I'm like, dude, we're 20 minutes into this movie and we already have Britt Eklund humping a wall. Like, this movie is really moving along. <laughs> yeah. I will paint the picture here. So it's... Howie's first night on Summer Isle, and he's in the inn at the, the Green Man Inn or whatever, and he's trying to sleep, but he can't because the siren temptress uh, Willow is next door singing him a song of seduction and humping the wall. 
Also, he's trying to pray, which I always thought was kind of funny. <laughs> well, you got to pray the evil away when the beautiful woman's coming after you. <laughs> That's what Odysseus would have done. He, you pray to the sire, keep him away. <laughs> but yeah, so <laughs> I, I would like to hear this in your words. You explain to people how this scene goes. So she's singing. She starts singing the song. But then there are also p- other people in the green green man in that are also playing instruments mm-hmm. right so it's like the whole inn is kind of in on this song and they all know what like what she's trying to do and she's basically she starts like flinging herself at the wall and yeah like humping the wall and she's right on the other side of the wall from him so he can hear everything that's going on and he's just like trying to sleep and trying to pray and he starts like sweating <laughs> <laughs> yes he is he has never had a woman be this forward to him probably in his life. But yeah, Willow is very, what would be the right word? Forward is a good word. She's very aggressive in her seduction. She's singing him a song, fully naked, I, I should add. There's a lot of nudity in this movie. Again, oh, yeah. I'm sure mom was really thrilled when I introduced you to this, this movie when you were a kid. <laughs> yeah, like 12-year-old me. <laughs> so, yeah, Willow is singing the song called Willow's Song. And it's really about basically, please come over here. Please have sex with me. Please impregnate me. And it's a very beautiful song. I've actually heard lots of covers on it on YouTube. But boy, the the lyrics are quite explicit if you listen to them. <laughs> the most like the most interesting thing about it to me is just the fact that like it's not just her. Mm-hmm. Like the whole island seems kind of in on it. So it's just like an interesting part I think of this religion's culture where sex isn't really like a private thing. It's like a group thing. Yeah, no, it's that. That's actually a really good point. They are all in on, and we will find out later why they were in on it. There's actually a point to this scene that they're they're testing to see if he is a can be tempted. But yeah, it's a, and he almost is tempted in in Willow's defense. I will I will stick up for the lithesome Willow here. She almost gets him to come into her room that night. She's very talented. <laughs> I always think about like how awkward it was after she was like done with her song and then nothing happened. Like she was just like, okay, like I'll just go to bed. Like that must've been really awkward. She has to put her clothes back on, put her reading glasses on, get out her book. (laughs) (laughs) What if he came over later? Like, like 10 minutes after the seduction, he bangs and knocks on her door and she's like, I'm reading, I'm done. (laughs) Okay. Now, if you would please close your ears for this part, because I have to quote the most explicit line in the song. So, Vanessa's please closing her ears. But the, the line in the one that this song that always jumps out at me that I cannot believe <laughs> this line is in a song where she's singing, How a maid can milk a bull and every stroke a bucket full. So, anyway, that's Willow's song. The beautiful Willow's song. Apparently, I didn't pay enough attention to the lyrics. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I think that's, if you listen to the full song, because people cover it on YouTube and then you listen to the soundtrack. That line is in there. I'm not sure they use that line in the movie, but they use other ones that come very close to that. So anyway, if anybody wants to sing that song for karaoke in front of their parents, that's a good one to do. (laughs) It's like an afternoon delight on uh, Arrested Development. Yeah. (laughs) I also got the best into Arrested Development, so I'm very proud of that, too. You have a good sense of humor. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so... uh, so Willow has tried to seduce him, and Howie has stood up to her. He has somehow fought off her advances, and so he's still, as we will find out later, he's still a virgin. He, is, he will never have sex before marriage, not even to the lovely Willow. And so the next morning, he wakes up after his, his eventful night, and, <laughs> hey, we're going to get more sex stuff, because the next day, he gets introduced to his first maypole. 
Yeah. Now explain to people who may not know, what is a maypole for? Well, so the maypole in this religion represents like the phallic symbol. I'm not sure if it's like that in all religions that have a maypole. Yeah, I think it is. I think that's traditional. It's the male phallus and they're dancing around it. It's a fertility ritual, basically. Yeah. So they have all the male children. Basically, they're like tied to the maple. They have these ribbon things and they're all dancing around it and singing the song. And then the teacher is kind of leading them in it. Now, is it all male children or were there there wasn't there was no girls in there, too? The the children actually dancing around the maypole, I'm pretty sure, were all males. And then the females were in the classroom, and they were, like, singing along from the classroom. Okay, that's right. Okay, so, yeah, this is day two on the island. is uh, for the, It's the day before May Day, and they're getting ready for their fertility dance and festival. And this is where people start warning Sergeant Howie. They're like, you know, there's some weird stuff going around the island on May Day. You might not want to be here. And even Willow. The next morning in the restaurant, she's like, you know, I, I thought you were going to come over and sleep with me last night. And he's like, I would never do that. I'm engaged to be married, whore. <laughs> he doesn't say whore, but it's implied, right? Yeah, basically. But she's like, oh, you are a gallant fellow. And he says, I would never do that before marriage. And again, very important turn of phrase there. We're going to hear, hear more about that later. But again, she warns him. She's like, we're going to be doing some weird stuff on these May Day rituals. You might not want to be here with all your Christianity. You're going to find it weird. And he's like, harumph. And again, it's implied. He wasn't say harumph, but he would. He's the type of guy who would say harumph. Yeah. So let's talk about this classroom scene where he goes and meets all the girls in the class. So he uh, comes to the classroom and he asks the girls and the teacher. He shows them the picture of Rowan Morrison. He asks if they've ever seen her and they all deny it like everyone else has been doing and he another thing that i just like the more and more i watch this movie i just notice all the times that howie is just like such a jerk and it bothers me so much like in this scene he writes roan morrison's name on the blackboard and he just erases all the stuff that the teacher had up there <laughs> for the lesson like without even asking her so not only is he mansplaining to everybody in the island he's just a jerk he's erasing their school lessons yeah <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Sergeant Howie, you're a jerk. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he walks in and the, what's the lesson they're learning is he walks in the teacher's like, what does the maypole represent to all these little nine and 10 year old girls? And the girls are like, that's the male penis. And Howie's yeah. horrified. He's like, how, how dare you teach little girls about this? Yeah, he keeps threatening the teacher like, I will report this to the authorities that you've been teaching this smut in school. And yeah, just basically accusing her of brainwashing the kids, I guess. <laughs> well, maybe that's why he was erasing the lessons, because he does not, these are not valid lessons in his mind. He can just erase them. Yeah, I guess so. He's book burning, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he asks, he asks around the class, do any of you know a Rowan Morrison? And they're all like, no. And he, what does the teacher say? The teacher has a very peculiar phrase. She says, if she existed, we would know. Or I think she says, if she existed, we would have seen her. Yes, that was it. Okay, yeah. So it's very much a phrase of what does existence mean in the, on this island? And so he's looking around, and he sees a missing desk. And he's like, that's Rowan Morrison's desk. And they're like, no. Well, the desk is the desk is there, but it's empty. Yeah, yeah, it's empty. But what's inside it? I always love this little scene. Yeah, he opens it, and there's a, a beetle, I think. And it's attached by a string to this nail that's stuck in the bottom of the desk. And the beetle is walking around it. 
and slowly um, basically like winding itself closer and closer to the nail. Yeah, and a little girl has done that. Like, there's something these little girls do in this class. They they set up a trap for a beetle. They tie him to a nail, let him walk around in a circle until he basically strangles himself on the rope. And Howie, of course, is none too pleased with this behavior either. This is the kind of smut that he was erasing from the message board, how to kill beetles. <laughs> it's also interesting because it's kind of a cool like symbolism for what's happening to Howie. Oh, that's very artsy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, spoiler alert, this is not going to end well. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, the, he demands the school register. Another example of what Vanessa said of him just being a jerk. He walks up to the teacher. I demand to see the registry for this class. And she's like, well, we can't do that because Lord Summer Isle, you need his permission. And he's like, I am a police officer. And he like grabs it from her. Well, they also, before that, he is walking outside with the teacher, and they have this interesting conversation about, like, death mm -hmm. and how death is perceived in their island. Like, uh, he asks her if Rowan is dead, and she says, we don't use that word here. Um, and she talks about how they believe in, like, reincarnation, and he's all upset and like, how have these children ever heard of Christianity and Jesus? And she tells him that the the children find uh, reincarnation easier to understand than resurrection. Mm -hmm. And he's all appalled by this. So she, it seems to him that she is kind of implying that Rowan's dead, but she won't say that because they don't really believe in death. I am curious. I'm going to bring a little of your personal history into this. That There's a very interesting phrase, she says, that children find it easier to believe in resurrection than they do in, like, eternal death. Now, we did not raise you as a Christian. I'm curious what your thoughts on that. Do, is that an easier concept for you to believe that someone could just get reincarnated into nature? I'm curious what you would say. Um, yeah, I, I think reincarnation, I mean, kind of makes like a little more sense than like resurrection because like it's cause kind of on the idea, at least how I interpret it, that like you're made of like all this matter from nature and then we, when you die all that matter just goes back into the universe mm -hmm. and then it just becomes something else. So I, I do think that's an easier concept than, yeah, eternal death or resurrection. Now I'm curious, I have a follow-up question to that, is that you are you love this movie and you like it and you see Sergeant Howie as a jerk and just a, you know, he's, he's not nice, he's just not open-minded to these people. Do you think that would be different if you'd been raised with, like, a strong Christian background or doctrine? Like, you're not sympathetic to Howie at all, but do you think someone who's watching this as a Christian would be very sympathetic to his argument? Um, I think they... I think it depends on kind of how Christian they are, because I do think he's kind of, like, um, deliberately presented as a jerk. Mm -hmm. So I think that Christians might even, like... Christians would probably still see that he's being, like, really close-minded, but I don't know. Maybe not as often. Yeah, see, because I'm curious, because now I'm thinking about that, because I'm not, I was raised Christian, but I'm not super Christian either, but I am wondering if someone is very Christian-based in their beliefs and doctrine, if this movie hits them even harder at the end. I, I am curious about that. Yeah, I wonder. Because, again, if you're not sympathetic to the villagers at all, this has got to be the most horrifying thing ever. Anyway, yeah. I, I don't, don't want to jump too far ahead. Okay, so, yeah, so we find out from the registry there is a Rowan Morrison in this class. 
And all the kids have been lying to him. Everybody in this island's been lying. He's just horrified. He calls them all despicable little liars. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where the teacher implies that Rowan was here, but she died. But she doesn't use the word died. She says, well, I said if she existed, we would know about her, but she doesn't exist because she is part of the earth. And how, he, how he's like, BS, where, where is she buried? Take me to her grave. And she's like, well, he's out there. She's out there. So this is where he goes to the cemetery, right? Yeah. And before we get to the cemetery, I have to say there's a lovely scene here where he's looking through the pagan gravestones in the formerly Christian cemetery. And the first one he sees is something that's like an engraving. So-and-so died. He is now protected by the ejaculation of serpents. Which, that's not really. I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's not really Christian doctrine. But and of course, Howie <laughs> once again horrified. Like the word ejaculation should not be on a gravestone. Yeah, and I think on on top of uh, someone's grave, maybe Rowan's, there's a basket of apples, and he goes over there. He just knocks them over. Like he just doesn't care. Yeah, he knocks over the apple crate and makes a little cross out of it, just to remind the people that this is the one and only Lord Jesus Christ cemetery, and stop being pagan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I kind of see your argument. He's kind of being a jerk here. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, the one thing that I notice more and more when I rewatch the movie is, like, how unsympathetic the protagonist is. <laughs> but, Vanessa, he's just trying to find a child. You were a child once. Wouldn't you want someone <laughs> looking for you? I mean, yeah, I guess. What if Sergeant Howie was <laughs> all you had between you and death? Wouldn't you feel a little more sympathetic? Yeah, I guess so. All right, that was a trick question. <laughs> anyway, so so how he's mad. He knows Rowan Morrison died, and she's buried here, and he's going around the village. And who's he go to? Like the the record keeper and the photographer. Explain those scenes to people. Yeah, so he goes to the record keeper. He demands a record of the deaths on the island, and then she kind of gives the same spiel that he's gotten before, where he needs Lord Summerisle's permission. And he says, um, I don't need his permission. I have permission from the state. And he shows his police badge and basically, like, bullies her into eventually giving him the death records. <laughs> Good job, Karen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the photographer, too, right? He bullies the photographer? Yeah. Yeah, the photographer is the guy that took all the, took all the uh, Harvest Festival pictures, the one that's missing from the wall, and how he's like, show me the one from last year with the missing girl. I bet that's Rowan Morrison. And, he's, and the photographer's like, I don't keep copies. <laughs> so <laughs> Howie is not getting anywhere. So now this is where we go to probably the most important scene in the movie where he goes to talk to Lord Summer Isle himself. Yeah. Oh, this is a fun scene. <laughs> First off, what does he pass? He, all these images that he hates, he does not like anything on this island, any of this pagan sexuality crap, and he sees one that he hates even the most on the way into the Lord's Manor. What is this image he sees? So he sees these naked women. One of them is pregnant, and they're doing this, I guess, fertility sort of ritual for like with the purpose of making sure that the pregnant woman's baby will be born healthy. Mm -hmm. So they're they have a fire and they're singing and they're basically all taking turns like jumping around the fire, jumping over the fire and singing the song. Yeah, this is really pagany here. <laughs> naked yoga, I would call it. They're doing naked yoga, jumping over the fire, fertility. Is this basically what a college campus is like now? Yeah, basically. <laughs> so, and But he also sees all the barren apple orchards, and this is important. All these things that should be producing apples, 
that are empty, and he's a little concerned. He's he's starting to do the math in his head to figure out what happened. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about Lord Summer Isle here. Ex explain Lord Summer Isle to people. Who is he in relation to the people here? So Lord Summer Isle is the leader, I guess, of this island. I think it was his grandfather that initially like kind of set up this community. Mm -hmm. um, and he's, he's not like a god figure to them, but I guess he kind of serves the role of like the leader of a church. Yeah, spirit. He's a spiritual leader. Yeah. Um, yeah, he basically is the one that, like, controls everything. Like, he's the one that all the islanders were telling Howie they needed Lord Summer Isle's permission to basically do anything. So he kind of controls, like, who comes in and out of the island and who gets to see what and do what. Yeah, all things that happen on this island go through Lord Summer Isle again. He's the grandfather of the man who founded this place, who invented all these crop rotation techniques to grow apples. He's a big shot. Played by Christopher Lee, big, famous actor, great voice. I assume you like his voice, right? Oh, yeah. And his kilt is awesome, too. He's fully, fully kilted in this movie, Christopher Lee. And this is where Howie comes up and says, you know, I need permission permission to do a body exhumation. We're going to pull Rowan Morrison's body out of the earth, and I want to see an autopsy on how she died, because I think you effers killed her. And Lord Summerall, what is he? He's like, sure. And how he's like, what? I didn't think you'd say sure. And Summerall's like, well, nobody ever murders anything, anybody around here. It's so peaceful. So sure, I'm, you can take the body out, and I'm sure you won't find anything. Yeah. Now, this is where they get to the argument about religion. This is a really fascinating scene, I think. Yeah. Uh, so Lord Summerall basically, he gives Howie kind of the whole story of how his grandfather, like, set up this community um, and how, you know, the crops and the harvest are very important to them and how they worship, like, what's their main goddess? I guess just like the goddess of the harvest. Yeah, there's two. There's a sun god and a earth or harvest god. There's two that they love, they, they worship equally. Yeah, and then Howie starts um, lecturing him about... Christianity and his um and he asked Lord Summerall like so you support this and he um, gestures outside to where the naked women are doing the fertility thing and then Lord Summerall is like yes actively <laughs> and um yeah and how he's just offended yeah there's a I, I love the scene because again I'm not super religious so it's fun to see arguments pointed out that are kind of anti-religion but Sergeant Howie's like you're teaching people about reproduction without sexual union. You're teaching them about pagan gods. This is terrible. And this is fake biology, fake religion. And Lord Summer Isle points out, well, last I checked, wasn't Jesus the son of a virgin who was impregnated by a ghost? I love that. I'm just like, yes, got him. <laughs> yeah, so one point for Lord Summer Isle there. <laughs> and Summer Isle's like, you know, we're not pagans. We just worship the old gods. And he says... When we first came to this island, my grandfather, you know, tried to do things the Christian way. We live in a Christian country, and we tried doing things the Christian way, and all our crops died. So he's like, it was a last resort. We tried to honor the old gods, like, you know, in Greece, they do Zeus or all that. This would be the equivalent, these old school gods. And the first year we did sacrifices and all these earth, these uh, pagan rituals, our crops came back. And because we're a religious people, we just keep going with these old gods. He's like, we're very religious. We're just as religious as you. It's just a different religion. Mm -hmm. And Howie does not agree with that. <laughs> yeah, he keeps just asking him, well, what about the one true God? And he says, like, if, like, 
this one true God has had churches and shrines built to him all over the country. Like, why don't, what about that God? And I forget what Summer Isle's response to that is. I'm sure it's something pithy and witty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Summer Isle makes some good points. And yeah, Howie is just going full on. This is a Christian nation. This may be an island, but you are still part of a Christian country and Christian laws apply here. And Summer Isle's like, yeah, whatevs. So it's not going to go anywhere in it. It, and so Howie just kind of storms off at the end, right? He just does, he cannot understand this dude. Yeah. Yeah, he storms off to go investigate Rowan's grave. <laughs> and they go and they dig up the grave. And surprisingly, this is one of the least creepy scenes in the movie, digging up the body. I remember the first time I watched the scene, I was so expecting there to be a jump scare here. When they, like, take off the lid of the coffin. Uh-huh. But then there's not, and I was so confused by that. Yeah. Look what modern horror movies have done to you. They ex- you expect a jump scare when a perfectly good movie has none. There's not a single jump scare in this movie. I mean, I think there's one part that could maybe be considered a jump scare, but it's not this part. Is that a spoiler for later? I'm curious what you're talking about. Um, I mean, we'll get to it later. Okay. So they go and they pull up this... Uh... <laughs> They pull up the coffin of Rowan Morrison, and what do they find in there? A hair. A hair as in a rabbit. Yeah. So now the Islanders are just effing with him. They're burying their bunny. They're claiming that Rowan's a bunny. Everyone's claiming she doesn't exist, and he has all this evidence that she did exist, and he goes storming back to uh, Lord Summer Isle, and this is like, this is where he starts putting two and together and, and forming his opinion. He's like, I know what happened. You killed Rowan Morrison. There was a sacrifice. He's like, your crops failed. You even told me yourself there have to be sacrifices when the crops failed. You killed her, didn't you? And Summer, I was like, no, of course not. What are you talking about? And I think he also got a lot of that from the picture, too, because when he saw the 1972 picture with Rowan in it, he noticed that there was way less produce surrounding her than in the previous pictures. Yeah, that's very important. He has figured it out that he see he's broken into the photographer's shop. He sees last year's Harvest Festival picture. There were no crops surrounding Rowan, who was the Harvest Queen, and he puts two and two together because their crops failed last year. That's why he couldn't get any food in the inn. That's why all the trees are barren. They must have killed this little girl in the guise of religion, and as a Christian, he cannot have that. That's his issue. Yeah. And what is he threatens now? He threatens to go back to the mainland? Yeah, and he tries to leave, right? But then they they do something to his uh, his plane that he came in on. Well, that that's the next day. Yeah, well, he for some reason he spends the night one more night. He's like, I it's too dark, I can't go back tonight. And he's like, uh, I will return to the mainland tomorrow, and I will file a report and open a full and guest investigation into this heathen island. Yeah. And Lord Summer Isle's like. Perhaps that's best because, you know, tomorrow is May Day, and with you being such a Christian douchebag, you probably wouldn't be able to handle it. So perhaps <laughs> it's best that you're not here. So, And this is going to set up the finale. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. May Day, one of the greatest endings in movie history, the gut punch. Even when you know it's coming, it's still a gut punch. And I will warn people it's going to be spoilers from here on out, so hang on. Okay, so... I know you read a lot about religions and cults and stuff because I know you're my kid. So (laughs) Howie spends the next morning. This is May 1st, 1973, May Day. He spends the entire morning reading up on May Day festivals and pagan crops. Now, tell us what he finds in these books. 
he finds, I think, a description of, um, like, the sacri- like human sacrifice that happens around May Day, and this kind of, like, confirms his suspicions about what he thinks happened to Rowan. Yeah, and he sees pictures, right, of all the different uh, symbolism that are used in these rituals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a traditional May Day ritual will have the maypole and the dances and all that stuff, but then there's a traditional ritual of sacrifice that happens, and it involves three characters at all times. Do you remember who the three are? Um, I know one of them is the fool. Yeah, Punch is the man-fool. It's a man dressed up in a fool costume. And there's a, mm-hmm. a, a character called the man-beast, I believe, who's half man, half animal. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, I'm not sure how well this ages in the year 2019, but there's a man-woman. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I forgot about uh, this part of the movie, Christopher Lee in a uh, dress. <laughs> yes. Christopher Lee, yeah. The, there's a traditional leader of all funeral or uh, sacrifice rituals called the man woman a man dressed up in drag and that's part of the ritual and basically there's these six swordsmen and every and it the the book explains what is it like when they need to do a sacrifice for the crops an animal is what you sacrifice when the crops are good but when bad times what do they sacrifice a person although they they did have animals as part of the sacrifice as well. I know. That's like an uber sacrifice. They're super sacrificing the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, in bad times, you sacrifice a human, possibly a small small child, possibly a 12-year-old girl. And this is what I love about this movie. You know a sacrifice is coming at some point, but you don't know when or how it's going to happen. And in the book, do you, do you remember this? It even lists different ways that they sacrifice, and all of them we'll see later in the movie. Oh, we see all of them in the movie. I didn't catch that. Yeah, they said, sometimes we drown someone at sea. Sometimes we fling them off a cliff. Sometimes they're burned alive. Sometimes the swordman will cut your head off. Sometimes someone will be skinned alive. So at a certain point in the movie, when the sacrifice is about to happen, you see a little lead up to almost every one of those, and you don't know which one it's going to be. <laughs> and do you remember that the the sword scene was... I think I think it's the most suspenseful part of the movie. It's creepy. Even when I know how it's going to end, it still creeps me out. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Howie wants to leave. He knows. He has figured it out. They have either killed Rowan Morrison or they're going to kill her today as part of the sacrifice. He can't figure it out, and he's going to leave. And this is when he wants to go back to the mainland. And he can't because, what, they've they, uh, shut down his plane somehow. Yeah, I can't remember exactly what they did. I, I feel like they might have taken out the, the gas or something or done something with the engine. It's a typical horror movie. You know, the final girl tries to get away and the car won't start. So it's yeah, <laughs> gender reversed here. Yeah. He flew in on a seaplane and now he can't. So he's like, fine, if you guys are going to disable my plane, I will just go find Rowan Morris and myself and stop your stupid parade. And this is where we get a very tense last, you know, 40 minutes of the movie of him just rushing around into town looking for this girl, knowing they're going to kill her, and, like, nobody will help him at all. They just stare at him. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're all getting prepared for these May Day rituals. Yes. Everybody's got a little animal mask on, and uh, the the man-woman, Christopher Lee, gets into his man-woman outfit. <laughs> yeah. And he goes to Rowan Morrison's mother. One last feeble attempt to say, you know, they're going to kill your daughter today. And the mom's like, who, Rowan? I don't have a daughter. <laughs> <laughs> and But the, the mom gives him a warning, right? 
I just remember uh, him saying, what kind of mother are you or something like that? Yeah. And she's like, you might want to leave. We're going to do things today that don't concern you. So you might want to not be a part of them. And he's like, damn you, woman, I will find your child. And yeah, he's just going into full <laughs> jerk mode. And he's just searching. He's going through every house in the, in the on the island looking for this body. And there's all these... Okay, this might be the jump scare you're talking about, where he's, they think that there's a lot of false starts that he finds Marowen, but it's not really her. Yeah. Which one are you talking about? I'm thinking of the one where he opens the cupboard door and then the kid falls out. Okay. It is a jump scare. It's a mild jump scare, but I will I will give you credit. It's a Very jump scare. minor. Okay. So he goes back to his room. And he's resting. He's like, he knows this parade is going to start at sunset, this festival of sacrifice. And he goes to his room, and the innkeeper's like, you might just want to sleep there all night. You know, things are going to happen a little bit. They're going to weird you out. And this is where it's really going to start escalating with the hand. Do you remember the, the significance yeah. of the hand scene? The candle? Yeah. Do you, do you, it actually took me a few couple viewings to catch what's going on here. Um, well, I mean, I, there's the connection between the candle being on fire and then the wicker man fire sacrifice. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, you kind of have to listen closely to their dialogue is that he's laying there and he's falling asleep and the innkeeper and his daughter Willow are saying very loudly, we should burn this candle in his room. It'll make him, it'll release fumes that'll make him fall asleep and he'll sleep through the whole ceremony and how he hears them. Oh, okay. And so they light this candle. He wakes up and knocks out. He's like, these bastards were trying to knock me out and not let me go to the festival. I should go to the festival. So that, that leads to the whole impetus of him rushing out to the festival. And he gets into costume here. Yeah. <laughs> Explain this to people. Which, which costume does he choose and why? So he is, it's Punch, right? Pronouncing that right? Punch the Fool. Yeah, the Fool is one of the traditional characters. Punch, yeah, the Fool. Yeah, so it's like this big, like, circular, I guess it's supposed to represent, like, a really fat guy, like, red and yellow kind of checkered body, and then the the mask is, like, just a face with a really long nose. <laughs> I mean, people with long noses are fools, it has been proven. <laughs> but yeah, the, the innkeeper, the guy who's in, he's staying in, is supposed to traditionally dress up as Punch the Fool, and he... He goes in there and he knocks out the innkeeper, takes his costume. So now Sergeant Howie is dressed up as the fool. He has a mask on. And now he can slide surreptitiously into the parade unnoticed. I do think the masks really adds to kind of the creepiness of the last part of the movie because you don't really know who's who. Yes. You don't know who's who and they're all stone-faced. There's no emotion. Yeah. Yeah, this is it's really creepy from here on out. The last 30 minutes of this movie with the procession of death, everyone going in their funeral march down to the beach to sacrifice Rowan and he's involved and there's like music playing. Like how would you describe this uh parade to people? Yeah, so Christopher Lee in drag is in the front and he's just kind of dancing around. I think doesn't he have these little like baraka type things? Yeah, he has maracas and he also has like a scythe, like a little sickle. Yeah, and everyone is all in their costumes behind him, and there's these musicians. And the music, it's very happy-sounding. Like it's, it's very cheerful-sounding. Very nice folk music of the early 70s as they're marching off to butcher a little girl. Yeah. And here we go to the scene that I, even though the ending is the one that gets all the notoriety from this movie, 
the chop scene is the one that I do think is the scariest, and I know you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. Describe the chop scene to people. Yeah, so there are some people in the parade. There's, um, is it six or eight of them? There's six swordsmen. Yeah, so there's six swordsmen, and they all um, form this circle with their swords where all the swords are kind of overlapping each other, and they make this little circle. And then all of the islanders have to take turns going under and putting their head through the middle of the circle of swords. Mm-hmm. And then the everyone's chanting, chop, 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 while everyone's going under. And so, and then when the person goes under, the swordsmen lower the swords around their neck and then bring them back up over the head and the person moves on and then the next person comes through. And it's basically just really suspenseful because it's implied that they're going to chop someone's head off, basically. And it's kind of... Um, like it's random, like you never know who it's going to be. And they make how we go through too. <laughs> and they chop, they eventually do end up chopping the head of a costume off, but it turns out the person in the costume, their head was below where the head of the costume was. So you think that they chopped this kid's head off, but then he turns out fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a, as Lord Summer Isle says, it's a game of chance. Everybody must yeah. put their head into the, the blade of death and someone's getting their head chopped off, and you're starting to get the sense in this movie that things are not going to go well for Sergeant Howie. And this is such a suspenseful scene because you know he's going to put his head in that circle, and you know someone in this village is onto him because you see lots of scenes of people looking at him. Like You kind of know they know he's Howie, and you think he's going to get his head chopped off, but he doesn't. And it's actually like almost scarier that he doesn't because it's like a big release of tension. You know it's coming, and then it just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't say enough about the chop scene. It's just chop, chop. Everyone chanting in the villa, everyone in the island chanting for someone to be beheaded. Yeah, and for some reason for me, chanting is just really creepy to me. Like, I think that's one of the things that I find so creepy about cults. Like, anytime anyone, a group of people is, like, chanting together, that always creeps me out. So I think that's another part of the scene that's, like, really creepy to me. I don't know if kids nowadays still have ringtones on their phone, but you should have that as your ringtone. For You should say, chop, chop, <laughs> chop. Or, or your alarm. If you want to be creeped out first thing in the morning or in the middle of the night, set your alarm to be chop, chop. Yeah. <laughs> no, I should have my ringtone as Willow's song. <laughs> no, as my daughter, I forbid you. You are not, never, ever allowed to sing Willow's song. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, the uh, chop scene. And Sergeant Howie survives the game of chance. His head is not chopped off. And now we go down to the beach and we start the sacrifice. And what the first sacrifice is what, the ale? Yeah. Now, who's that going to? That is going to, um, well, everything's going to the harvest god, I believe, right? Yeah, it's just they, there's different gods. This one's like the ocean god or something. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I'm not a pig, and I I don't know. It's some god. <laughs> but, yeah, so Christopher Lee opens up a barrel of ale and dumps it into the water, and that's for the ocean god. And now we get to the last page of my notes, which is just all exclamation points and circles, where he says, And now for a more dreadful sacrifice for those who command the fruit of the earth. And here we are introduced to our main character. We have not seen the whole movie. She's all tied up. Who do we see, Vanessa? Rowan. Rowan Morrison. Yeah, she's tied up, and she's, like, up by the rocks. It's one of these, like, Clash of the Titans. They're going to have the Kraken come and attack her. And yeah. S- Sergeant Howie, he saves her, right? He runs up there? 
Yeah, and then um, he's caught at the top by the Islanders. Well, okay, you're, let's. This scene goes on a little longer than that, though. Oh, he chases her for. He chases her through the cave first. Or, yeah. Let me rephrase what you just said. He rescues Rowan Morrison, and she's like, help me, they're going to kill me. I'm a damsel in distress. And then she leads him to his death. Yeah. So I think you glossed over the role of young lass Rowan Morrison here. She was basically bait, and then she led him right to the trap. <laughs> yeah, she's bait, and he goes and rescues you and unties her, and she's like, come this way. And she leads him up into a meadow where it's a trap. Now he's surrounded by villagers, and Rowan's like, did I do it right? Did I do it right? And Lord Summerall's like, yes, well done. And from here on out, things will not go well for poor Sergeant Howie. I'm going to say poor, even though you hate him. I'm going to say poor. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> I, I, I've been doing 72 episodes of Staff Picks, and I'm finally on the final, final scene of The Wicker Man, and I want to do this one justice. Okay. I will start with you. What what happens when he goes up there? Let's. There's a big long speech. Lord Summerall starts talking. Kind of summarize the speech. So, Lord Summerall basically tells him how they trapped him and how they were looking for someone like him, and they specifically brought him to the island on purpose. Yes, it was a very calculated trap, like some of the other movies I've done on Staff Picks, a.k.a. the Skeleton Key, which I just did. It's whole movie, a very calculated trap, where Christopher Lee says, Welcome, fool. You have come of your own free will to the appointed place. The game is over. And how he's like, game? What game? And I wrote this down. I specifically wanted to get Christopher Lee's words. He says, the game of the hunted leading the hunter. It is we who have found you and brought you here and controlled your every thought and action since you arrived. And this is where we learn about last year's crops, right? Yeah. So last year they had their crops failed. And then that's basically why they wanted Howie to come here, because they wanted him to be the sacrifice to make up for the failed crops, to bring their crops back. Yes, for the first time in a hundred years, their crops failed so disastrously that they don't know what to do. And again, this is the rule. When the crops are doing well, you sacrifice an animal. When they're not going well, you sacrifice a human. When they're really, really not doing well, now you sacrifice the perfect type of human. And so what are the rules? Why was Howie so perfect for their sacrifice? So there's like four different requirements. Um... So he came of his own free will. Mm -hmm. So basically, even though they sent the letter about Rowan Morrison missing to him as bait to get him to go there, he came on his own. He uh, had the power of a king, quote, quote, which um, like basically because he's a police officer, he represents the law uh, that fits that requirement. Mm -hmm. He's a virgin, which he's made very clear throughout the movie. <laughs> yes. And... He's a fool, and he's dressed in the fool costume. Yes, he satisfies the four requirements. Although, like, I, I can see why they would write to the police department and have them send someone over to the island. Like, the only flaw I see in this movie is how did they know he was a virgin? I mean, before, that's because they summoned this man specifically to the island. Do you know, like, how would they know he was a Christian virgin? I don't know. I kind of also don't really know how they knew he existed in the first place because it doesn't seem like they have much communication with the mainland. Okay, I will 
I may be incorrect about this, but I vaguely remember seeing on the DVD there's like an extra, like a short film, and the like this 35 minute making of the Wicker Man, and there's all these scenes that were deleted from the final movie, and I believe one of them was they had spies on the island that were looking for the right type of cop, and one of them knew this guy had a stick up his butt and it was a virgin and a Christian, and so I think that that was explained in a deleted scene. I think that would close the loophole there. Yeah, that makes sense. So the lesson to be learned here is if he had just had sex with Willow, none of this would have happened. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what they would have done if he did. <laughs> like, because their whole plan that they've been planning for like a year is. <laughs> <laughs> they had to be pretty darn sure he was not going to be banging the landlord's daughter. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the takeaway from guys here. If a girl's trying to seduce you in a motel, it may prevent your death. So you might want to give into it. I'm just pointing that out here. <laughs> well, it's just interesting that they like needed him there so badly, but it seems like at so many points they tried to convince him to leave. Like when they were telling him that he might want to go because he would be offended by what they were going to do. I guess they just knew that he would be really stubborn. Yeah, he's just pig-headed. That's, he's one of these guys you tell him, don't go in there, he's going to go in there. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really fun to watch this movie the second time and, and see how those lines read a little differently when you know what they're actually saying. Yeah. So how he learns now this whole sacrifice was for him, for his benefit. He's the sacrifice. They have controlled his thoughts and actions at all times. And this is what, the, like I said earlier in the movie, they start hinting at all the different ways he might die. Like they show him leaning over a cliff. And then at one point they show, you know, that the swords were around his neck. And at one point Willow pulls out a knife. And you're like, which way is he going to get it? You don't know until the last 10 minutes <laughs> of the movie. It's going to be the worst way. Yeah, and it's something that you would never even expect. Like, it's not the typical way that someone gets murdered in a horror movie. Yeah, and it's funny because this movie is called The Wicker Man, and you have no idea why it's called The Wicker Man until we meet The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man, yeah. <laughs> so here's the end of the movie. They drag Sergeant Howie up to this meadow, and now he sees, or first, no, first he argues, right? He's saying, I am a Christian. I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not believe. And he like, he tries to accuse, he tries to finger Lord Summerisle, right? Like they're going to kill you next year, right? Yeah. Yeah. He tries to kind of get the Islanders to turn on Lord Summerisle. <laughs> it's a good argument. I have to say, Sergeant Howie puts up a fight here at the end. Yeah. And he tries to um, convince them that sacrificing me won't save your crops um you know this environment isn't good for those crops it's going to be the same thing next year yeah because that's his argument again killing me won't bring any crops back and if it doesn't you're going to lose faith in your gods and you're going to have to kill lord summer isle so he's making a good argument and lord summer isle rebuts it with no <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a good try by sergeant howie but it doesn't work but, uh, yeah, this is where they prepare Howie for his death. And the two or the three women, it's Willow and the librarian and the teacher, come up and they, like, rub their hair all over him and lick him and stuff. Yeah, and they, uh, they dress him in this white robe, basically. <laughs> I was just thinking, like, Willow's, like, coming on to him and licking him and stuff. And he's like, you know, we could follow up on that in stuff right now, and it would probably <laughs> save my life. So he kind of lost his chance with Willow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah this is a uh <laughs> this is horrible again i've seen this movie so many times i almost hate talking about it where 
Christopher Lee says, come, it is time to keep your appointment with the wicker man. Yeah. Man, I, I totally understand why this is Christopher Lee's favorite role, because it seems like such a fun role to play, like getting to deliver lines like that. He's great. He's so perfect. And and here's the transition. I I only hope I can do justice to this next scene, the way I describe it, because it is one of the greatest scenes in movie history where Sergeant Howie knows he's about to be killed. He doesn't know how, and he starts going on his little rant. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the life eternal as promised by our Lord Jesus Christ. And he keeps repeating, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And then they carry him up and he sees the wicker man that he's about to be burned in. And his cries of Jesus Christ now turn into, oh God, oh Jesus Christ, oh my God. Yeah, I think that's what makes the scene so like punch in the gut is his reaction. Oh, because you can really, like, feel, like, how terrified he is and just, like, imagining that situation. Like, if you're all alone on this island and it's just you versus all these people who, like, believe in sacrificing you and want to sacrifice you, he's completely helpless. Completely, yeah. And he he now realizes he's going to be burned alive, which, without being too graphic, is known as the worst way to die, the most painful and so, describe, what is a wicker man, if people have never seen this before? So it's a big, like, construction statue in the shape of a man, um, made out of wicker, I guess. <laughs> and it has, like, this particular wicker man has, um, the like, a chamber right in the middle of it where Howie's going to go. But then on, like, the sides and in the arms and the head, there's all these other animals that are going to be sacrificed and they're basically all locked in there, and then they set the whole thing on fire. And how tall would you say this Wicker Man statue is? Hmm. It's, I think it's as tall as, like, the cliffs on the side of the, mountain, uh, side of the island. Yeah, it's a good 100, 150 feet, maybe 200. It's giant. Yeah, I have no idea how they hid this thing from him this whole time. <laughs> I have some cool trivia about that, actually. The actor... Edward Woodward knew he was going to be burned alive at the end of the movie, and he specifically did not want to see the Wicker Man statue he was going to go in. So, like, when you see him see it for the first time in the movie, that's when the actor was really seeing it. So when he says, oh, God, oh, Jesus Christ, dear God, that's like his actual reaction to knowing how horrific this is going to look in a movie. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> and the other trivia is that I know the island where they filmed this, that Wicker Man, they left the, uh, the pylons where the legs were. They were there on that island until like 2006, like for 35 years. And it was like a tourist attraction. You could go see the Wicker Man uh, <laughs> legs until some vandal, some a-hole vandal stole them about 10 years ago. Aw, that sucks. Yeah, so cross that off your, your cult places I know you want to visit. <laughs> so yeah, so they carry Sergeant Howie up, and he's, his hands are tied. He can't do much. He's in the sacrificial robe. And they place him in the middle of the Wicker Man. Again, like Vanessa said, there's animals in there too so this is like they're covering all their bases they're sacrificing like everything they can yeah and like fairly big animals like there's like sheep and um like not just like tiny little chickens like they had like big animals in there too yeah and i will let loose some horrible trivia i read on the internet movie database that some of the animals actually did die during the burning scene they actually killed some of these animals <gasps> oh man but you know the good news vanessa what they had a hell of an apple crop the next year. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. 
<laughs> so Sergeant Howie is locked into the belly of the Wicker Man, and the whole village goes around in a circle. One of Again, one of the most iconic, horrific scenes you're ever going to see in a movie. And again, there's movies that have gut-punch endings that have come out since then, but this was the original. And they light the thing on fire, and the whole last five minutes of the movie is Sergeant Howie praying and praying to Jesus Christ to save him, and then the praise turn to screams. Yeah, and it's... What's so chilling about this is the contrast of his, like, terrified praise, and then the Islanders are all in a circle around the Wicker Man singing a song, mm -hmm. and it's just, like, a really happy, like, folk song. So it's just, like, the contrast of those two noises. Yeah, that's... I read that's a real traditional Scottish folk song that, like, kids sing with their parents. So it's, like, it's like horrible, horrible reference for it to use it in a movie. And, again, this is the greatest day in their life, because they're getting apples next year. <laughs> and that's the end of the movie sergeant howie screaming you don't see it it's not especially graphic but you know what's happening as he catches on fire and you hear his screams of jesus to help him and then the wicker man collapses and all the villages are cheering and dancing and we fade off to sunset and oh boy what a fun movie that is <laughs> yeah well the last shot is so cool because it's sunset and so you see kind of the silhouette of the Wicker Man as the sun is setting, and you see the head of the Wicker Man, like, fall off. And that's the last shot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, the Wicker Man. Now, <laughs> I have a friend. I have a friend named Joshua who always points out flaws in movies. He's like, I would kind of like to know if the ritual was successful. Like, they, it's like they leave us hanging. You never know if they got their apples back next year. So no one knows if this was all for naught. But we do know it was a horrific ending and Sergeant Howie died. And uh, again, he he did it all himself. He followed all their rules, fell into all their traps. And as they said, there's no trace of you on this island. No one will ever find you. So his death will go unavenged. Yeah. And just remember that the next time you buy apples, Vanessa, that might have been the cause of the delicious apples you're enjoying <laughs> up in Washington. Someone sacrificed a police officer. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you're in Washington. I'm from Seattle. That's apple country. You know, they, they sacrifice a hell of a lot of cops up there just to get those apples. <laughs> so anyway, anything else you want to add? That's uh, I, It's almost one of those movies you can almost, there's almost nothing left to say at the end because how can you top the ending? But that's, yeah, that's a, it's an ending that will shake you. Even if you've seen it a lot, many times, it will still stick with you, I think. Yeah, it definitely takes a while to process, and even I'm not really totally sure on what my opinion is on, like, what the ultimate message of the movie is. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of feel like it's just a criticism of religion in general, because <laughs> it, it presents kind of both religions, Christianity and this pagan religion, as being, like, it presents them both in negative lights. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It's I'm trying to think, it's... It doesn't pre present the pagan one as being necessarily wrong, but it definitely presents intolerance towards other people's religions to, could lead to your own doom. I mean, I think the whole human sacrifice thing kind of puts the pagan religion in a bad light. <laughs> but again, they get apples, so... <laughs> yeah, I guess it's worth it. It's like a negative carbon footprint. You get rid of a person, you add crops. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is one of those movies that came out and... I don't know if it was a big hit. I get the sense it was never a big hit. And I know there was like five different versions of it with lots of extended extra scenes and and like a made-for-TV version. And it kind of disappeared. And like I said, 
It was it was only known because a couple people remembered it. Hey, remember that one where the guy burned at the end? And then this one magazine called it the Citizen Kane of horror movies. And like I said, I had a mythology professor just lived and died by this movie, but it it, it hurt him. He couldn't find a copy of it. So again, it was it was a forgotten movie. Only a select number of people knew about it. And like I said, it used to be on my list of movies that that uh, great horror movies nobody has ever seen. And then that goddamn remake. Yeah. <laughs> What, like, what's your stance on remakes? Are you a pro or anti-remake person? Generally anti. All right, good. Excellent. Good answer. <laughs> but, like, this movie in particular didn't deserve a remake just because it was so forgotten and obscure to start with that the minute they remade it, the only time you'd ever know that title was because of the new one. So, I like, this movie in particular just really didn't deserve a remake, and that, it really hurt me. Yeah, I just hate now that the remake has become more well-known than the original. So it's like, it just stole the name of the original, but the original's still forgotten for the most part. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to steal the name, at least keep the old one around. But like like I said, people my age even don't even know there was an original. Yeah. Although I do feel like it's getting a little more attention because of Midsummer, because I think a lot of people kind of uh, saw the connection between Midsummer and The Wicker Man, and I think Ari Aster even mentioned that he was influenced by The Wicker Man, so that's good. Well, then I thank you for introducing me to Midsummer, because if Midsummer brings uh, awareness of The Wicker Man back, I could not be more happy, because, yeah, this is one has always been right at the top of my list on movies that I recommend to people. Yeah, I always... I recommend it to people, but I do warn them that it's really weird <laughs> and that it's like a slow burn horror movie because I know that not all people like slow burns. Would you say that's pretty common of people your age, that most younger horror movie fans have a hard time with slow burn movies? Um, I don't think most. I think it's kind of half and half. Like some people really like the slow psychological stuff and some people really like the more jump scare slasher stuff. And again, I would say this isn't necessarily that slow a burn. It's only an hour and 20 minutes, and it's an 80-minute movie. So it's like, like Midsummer is over two hours. Yeah, this movie, for most of The Wicker Man, it's not even a horror. It's just kind of like a mystery. Okay, that leads right into my final question. Is this a horror movie? I mean, I always say it's a horror movie just because, like, the, the final scene, like, the feeling you have after watching this movie like because of the final scene is like a similar feeling to what you would have watching other horror movies. Like you feel, you feel horrified. No, that's a great answer. And that's, I, I myself have a hard time calling this a horror movie, but I agree with you. The feeling you get after this movie is almost more horrifying than any movie I can think of with the exception of one. And I'm going to bring up a little dirty laundry in our family. There's another horror movie very similar to this that I love and my beloved daughter will not watch. And that's called Spore Loose, a.k.a. The Vanishing. Are we going to talk about that? We're going to get into that? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm still trying to sell it. It's very similar to The Wicker Man, very slow burn, horrifying feeling afterwards, but she thinks it's too boring, so. I mean, I was a lot younger when I tried watching it, so maybe if I tried again, I would like it more. All right. Well, I am doing Spore Loose one of these days on Staff Picks. But again, yeah, it's like I said, the first time I ever saw this movie, it was in Hollywood Video in the special interest section next to the Jimi Hendrix concert. So huh. <laughs> Hollywood, Hollywood Video had no idea what the hell to make of this movie. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I have heard some people classify it as a musical, which, again, I hate admitting because I generally hate musicals. But, yeah, it is a musical. I read that the director even told the cast this is a musical when they were making it. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, wait a minute, doesn't the guy get burned alive? And they're like, yeah, but it's it's got jaunty folk tunes. <laughs> <laughs> and Willow's song, which, again, you are never allowed to sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess... I guess why I don't mind the music in this movie so much is because I feel like it adds, like, because they do spend a lot of time really um, developing, like, the culture of the island and, like, the mythology and their rituals. And I feel like the music really adds to that because music is clearly, like, a huge part of their religion. So I guess that's why I don't mind the songs in this movie because I feel like it adds more to the movie than songs usually do in musicals. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and also, when I realized that, how much this is based around, you know, traditional religions and myth and music, I understood why my mythology professor always wanted to show this to his class, because it technically does fit the syllabus of a classics class. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say, since this movie, anytime I see those images of, like, the pagan sun, like a little sun with the face on it, I get creeped out by it, even if it has nothing to do with this movie. It's all because of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> And I have to say one last little trivia bit about this movie is that, like I said, I first found it in a Hollywood video in the special interest section about 1998. And I love telling this story to people. I walked up because I wanted a copy of this movie because I loved it so much. And I walked up to the counter. I'm like, could I buy this movie? And they're like, nobody's checked out that movie in 15 years. You can take it. <laughs> so the copy I have of The Wicker Man is one I literally bought for 10 bucks off of Hollywood Video because nobody ever rented it. So I'm very proud of that, that I, I, I negotiated that deal for one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> <laughs> so anything else you want to say before we sign off? You, I just want to say you did a great job. I know it was your first podcast and you were a little nervous. And I will say that I'm going to set you up for this. Why Vanessa was not sure she wanted to do a podcast but she did say, you know, I'll do one about the Wicker Man. Now, would you explain why you volunteered to do one about the Wicker Man? Because I didn't trust anyone else to talk about the right things. That's right. Now, if that's not my kid, I don't know what is. <laughs> I don't trust anybody else to do it right. I will go on and sacrifice my self-confidence to talk about the Wicker Man. <laughs> well done. So anyway, that's why you should uh, donate to my patron because it all goes to this delightful child here who came on and talked about the Wicker Man. So thank you, Vanessa. Thank you. And again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time, I'll be out there looking for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to get one of my children on to come on and talk about them. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys later. Stay away from the innkeeper's daughter. Bye. Oh, God! Oh, Jesus Christ!